I understand that uh, you finished last week a study of First Peter uh, that John led, uh, Pastor John, and so I thought it appropriate to just pick up maybe with Second uh, Peter or the last letter that Peter wrote since uh, our minds are kind of on Peter and, and uh, what was on his mind and what he wrote in the scriptures and that we would uh, just pick up on this second letter of Peter, probably written three or four years after the first letter. Uh, most people think in 68 AD, which is the year that Peter uh, is thought to have died. Um, and so um, if you have your Bibles, turn to Second Peter. And uh, I would say in contrast to First Peter, which was written to encourage uh, hurting Christians going through persecution, Second uh, Peter is written to the same... Uh, group of people. If you look in um, 2 Peter uh, chapter 3 in the first couple of verses, uh, Peter writes here, he says, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember, you know, and so on. We need reminders, don't we? We need to be encouraged to remember things that are really important. And so Peter is writing this uh, to the same group of churches, which would be in modern-day Turkey today. Um, Peter's writing this to the same people. He calls them his beloved, the people he cares about the most, the people uh, he loves. And uh, this time he's concerned that these same people uh, remember uh, four specific, vital, crucial truths about themselves as Christians. And uh, it's, it's really a significant uh, little book of the Bible. Uh, Peter lived in a day that we could make many comparisons to our own day, and it's easy for us as Christians to get sidetracked with current events and with business and you know raising families and doing our jobs and all the rest of it, and we need to be reminded. And so, Peter, four crucial things to always be conscious of as we live out our lives. Our salvation, be sure of your salvation, Peter's saying, you know, and uh, he wants us to have assurance. He wants us to live with the confidence of being saved people and not just kind of wondering and, well, I hope I'm saved or, you know, I went forward when I was three three years old at a Billy Graham conference or something like that. Uh, But Peter wants us to live with the confidence and that's what we'll, Lord willing, be talking about today. Second thing, Peter says, don't ever forget or be really sure about your foundation, the Bible, God's word. Uh, Next week, Lord willing, we'll talk about that. Uh, and then uh, Peter says, you know, I want you also to be really, really sure about your enemies. You do not live in a neutral world. Everything God is trying to give us, Satan is trying to steal from us. And so we don't live in a neutral world and we have enemies. And Peter talks about our enemies and some of the characteristics of the enemies of the Christian faith. And then finally, Peter says, I need you to be sure about your future. Uh, There are some prophetic passages in the scriptures, some promises that God has made to us about our future that I need, Peter's saying, I want you to be sure about so that you can live with the confidence of kind of knowing where you're going. And uh, so Peter's probably in prison in Rome as he writes this letter, and uh, he knows he's at the end of his life. In uh, chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, Reread these words. Peter's writing, you know, this last letter, and here's what he says in verse 14. 
Uh, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, I know I'm going to die soon. I, I know the putting off of my body is right around the corner for me. Uh, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, if you go back to uh, John chapter 21, Jesus told Peter, you know what? You know, in the future, somebody's going to take you by the hand, lead you where you don't want to go, talking about Peter's death and how he was going to be killed. And uh, John 21, you can read that. And then in verse 15, he's, he's given the explanation why he's writing this letter. I will make every effort so that after my departure, after I leave this life, you may be able at any time to recall these things. So Peter's saying, you know, I love you. I'm about to die. I'm leaving. And I'm writing this letter so that you can... Uh, always be reminded of four crucial, vital truths about you and your own life as a Christian. Uh, one time several years ago, uh, I was asked to uh, go to Yale New Haven Hospital and speak to a man uh, who I had never met, who was a brand new believer, and um, he only had uh, four months left to live, and uh, he was leaving behind a wife and two young children. And uh, I suggested to him that while his mind was clear and he had four months to live, it might be a good idea to write some letters to your wife and to your two children, you know, so that even after you're gone, you could still have some influence on the people you love. And so uh, I tried, he decided to do that. I tried to help him. To express himself, I thought, you know, uh, wouldn't it be nice to, for your children to have a letter right after you passed? And here would be the letter. What would you say to your kids? You know, if the Lord called you home suddenly, I started to think about that, you know. Um, what would you want to say to your wife, you know, right after? And then I said, you know, how about like on the kids' birthdays, as they're growing up, what if you prepared a letter for either each of their birthdays, which was quite a bit, but, you know, uh, maybe every five years, or on your 16th birthday when your kids are going to drive, what would you want to tell them, you know? And, uh, you know, on their graduations when they uh, made significant accomplishments in their life, what would you want to say to them? And what do you think the Lord might say through you into their lives? How could you have influence even though you're passing away from this life? I think that's the kind of letter that this is from Peter to the to the churches that he wrote to, and uh, to us in the same vein. I said, you could even write a letter for your kids on their wedding day. What would you want to say? You know, if you weren't there. And so I imagine those letters now are treasured by those kids. That was quite a few years ago. And I suspect that Second Peter is just that kind of a letter. Out of everything that we could talk about, what are the most important things you would want to say to the loved ones that you have uh, after you pass? So I took a stab at this myself. I was working on this sermon, and I got to thinking about this, and I thought, well, you know, DeVries, you're in your 70s. The Lord could call you home anytime. Uh, I said, I I'm on vacation. I've got some time. I'm going to try to write some letters to my kids and to my wife. It is a hard thing to do. You don't just take five minutes and sit down and, you know, scribble out something. You think about if you had the opportunity to influence the people you love the most after you were gone, what would you say to them? 
And uh, I suggest to you that if you want to take a crack at something like this, that Second Peter is a good uh, kind of an outline. Um, what would I say to those that I love the most? I, I was asked to uh, do a funeral for a lady who died uh, a couple years ago now, three years maybe. Um, and she died early. She was only in her 50s. She was a businesswoman. She had a lot of contacts, and she had a huge Italian family. And uh, she, uh, as she was in the process of dying, she said, I'd, she said to me, I'd like to ask you to promise me that you'll read this letter at my funeral. And so I said, well, let me read the letter before, <laughs> before I make a promise, you know, that I'm going to read this. And uh, sure enough, she'd passed, and, and the funeral was set, and the place was packed. And she said, probably about 80, 90, 80 to 90% of the people who come together there are not believers. They're not Christians. And she said, this is my last opportunity to speak to my family and all my business associates that I've done business with over the years. And so in her letter, here's what she said, and I quote, if you ever want to see me again, I'll be in heaven. And Jesus is the only way anybody can go to heaven. And then she shared her testimony, you know, in writing. And then she shared the basics of the gospel. And then she made me promise to give an invitation at her funeral. And so I did that. And I would say half of that crowd raised their hands to trust Christ going forward. How powerful that letter was. How influential. I'll be in heaven, and if you ever want to see me again, there's only one way you can come and see me, and it's through faith in what Jesus did on the cross to take away our sins, and so on. And so Peter, you know, is writing this kind of a letter to the people he cares about, and he's warning these churches that the world is full of spiritual confusion and spiritual deception, and that Satan, after all, is called the small g God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. And um, in our culture, in our day, with social networks and mass media and biased power brokers at all levels of our society, 2 Peter is an extremely relevant passage of Scripture. Our culture calls it tolerance or inclusivity or politically correct but Jesus called it, in Matthew chapter 7, ravenous wolves in sheep's clothing. And so Peter says, hey, number one, be sure of your salvation. So let's just look at this. Second Peter chapter 1, first couple of verses. Uh, Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Now just pause and think about this. You know what Peter's saying? If you're a believer, you have an equal standing with the apostle Peter when it comes to your faith. Your faith is as significant and as good as and as true as Peter's faith and Paul's faith and John's faith. You have an equal standing with the apostle Peter. Now just think about that. If you're genuinely saved and if you're a true believer, you have a faith that puts you on an equal standing 
with the apostles. Uh, it's the same as his. Our faith puts us on an equal standing. I think the King James Version says uh, of uh, precious like faith. Like your faith is like my faith, Peter is saying. We're on the same level. We're at the same uh, place. If our faith is in the righteousness that's given to us by Jesus Christ through God, uh, then it's a righteousness that we've received from outside of us. It's not something dependent on something that's inside of us. It's a faith that's given to us by God. And it's from outside of us, and we've obtained it, Peter says. You know, to those who have obtained or gained or gathered uh, that faith, it's not something that, you know, generates from within inside of us. Becoming a Christian is not a matter of reformation, it's a matter of regeneration, a whole new life that comes to us from the outside. The Apostle Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 30, says this, He, God, is the source of your life in Christ, Jesus. God is the source of our faith, and it's the same faith that Peter had, we have, Right? Uh, God is the source of your life in Christ, whom God made our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. Uh, This is a great, you know, our salvation, uh, I don't know that you have anything in your life that's worth more than your salvation. And so when we think about this, and Peter says you have uh, obtained this salvation, uh, I, I think of the words of Jeremiah. You remember uh, way back in Jeremiah chapter 9 in the Old Testament, I always think of these words. Uh, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. What's your boast? What do you boast about? If you're going to write a letter to the people that mean the most to you uh, after you pass, what, what would you say to them? What's your boast? What, what would you like them to know about you? What's your story you know, uh, where do we find our identity? Where do we find our boast? And then uh, Peter immediately describes uh, the life of uh, a person who has this kind of faith. Uh, first of all, in, in the third verse, he says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of our God and of Jesus our Lord. Um, It's so important to uh, grow in our understanding. In fact, the very last verse of 2 Peter uh, says this, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to uh, the day of eternity. Uh, It's so important to grow. I, I remember one time I was trying to encourage people to read their Bible and to get to know God better and so forth. And somebody came up to me after that service and they said, I've already read the Bible. And I said, like, really, only once, you know, kind of thing? And uh, they said, yeah, I already know everything that's in there. I don't need to study it anymore. And I thought it was really kind of odd, you know, because why? Because the Bible's a living book. 
the Bible is a place where God actually speaks to us. And so uh, we're never really done growing. And when we get to heaven, the Bible says we'll be sanctified or glorified or we'll actually become uh, uh, like Christ. And so it becomes important for us to grow in our uh, understanding. And then he says when we do grow and we do understand, look at this, verses 3 and 4, his divine power, God's power, okay, has granted to us everything we need that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Imagine that God has already given you everything you need in order to grow spiritually because that's what Peter says. You already have on board in your life everything you need to develop and mature and grow into spiritual maturity. Sometimes people say, you know, well, you know, when I get a little older or when this happens or when that happens or when I get this or I get that and so forth, then I'm going to start paying attention to my spiritual life. Say, no, no, don't think like that. You already have everything you need uh, to grow and to mature uh, spiritually. Our life, you know, becomes then a reflection of our faith. Verse four, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. Now, I don't know. I read this when I was, you know, a teenager a couple of years ago, and uh, I still remember thinking, you know what? You are a partaker of God's nature. Now, I didn't feel like that was true. But when I read it, it just, you know how once in a while you read scripture and something just grabs you and you just, you're like locked in. And I'm like, I am carrying around the nature of God in me. I am different than the run and mill of the rest of society. I have, through my salvation, been given the divine nature. Right? I'm somebody different than everybody else or people who have not experienced the great and precious promises that God has given to us. We are equipped, we have everything we need, and uh, we are drawn, notice uh, we're called, we're drawn um, through these promises uh, to become partakers of the divine nature, escaping the corruption that's in the world. We're different than everybody else uh, through the knowledge, and we're called to his glory and to his excellence. We're impressed. I want to be like Jesus. I used to say when I was a kid, you know, I would love to be able to tell stories like Jesus because I just followed him around and and read through the Gospels and he always had these parables and these stories that would just connect much deeper than just the head level. It would just get right to the heart, you know. And uh, we have been given these promises in this life, the divine nature of God. We're in the process of becoming like Jesus. Our faith and our life are like two sides of the same coin. And uh, this biblical truth of the, your faith changing you, you know, is embedded in the motto of our church here, right? The gospel changes everything. You can't embrace the gospel and not change You can't get close to God and have the Spirit of God get in your life and just stay the same. 
And that's what Peter's going to be driving at here. He's going to say, hey, make sure of your salvation. And the way that you make sure and the way that you have assurance that your salvation is real is by observing the changes that happen in your life when God moves in. And you start to look at your life and you say, you know, I'm not who I used to be. And I'm changing. And uh, uh, Peter begins to list some of the changes that we'll experience. And I love the fact that this biblical truth is embedded right in the very motto of this church. You cannot embrace the gospel and stay the same. So our our faith is the foundation um, of our life. And uh, the visible result of our life is what's built on our faith. And when our faith is real, uh, that building will look increasingly, according to Romans chapter 8, 29, uh, like Jesus Christ. And so we've been called to be partakers of God's nature through his power and his spirit and his promises uh, given to us. And so in the greatest sermon, you know, that Jesus ever preached in Matthew chapter 7, we call it uh, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus put uh, this concept uh, like this in uh, verse 24, he said, um, well, and and, uh, where where am I? Uh, I'm sorry. Everybody then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew, beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everybody who hears these words of mine but does not do them. Everybody who hears but doesn't do, there's a hearing-doing gap, right? And Jesus is pointing this out. He's saying the same thing. Uh, Does not do them. Be like a foolish man builds his house on the sand and the rains come and the floods come and the winds blow uh, and the house falls because it was not built on the rock. What's the rock? The rock is doing what we hear. And uh, I would uh, guess that uh, if you're like me, there's more hearing than there is doing in all of our lives. Uh, James, the Apostle James, you know, Jesus' half-brother, actually wrote an entire book in the Bible called James uh, about faith, if it doesn't have works, isn't real. And I think that's what Peter's actually saying here. So Peter's concerned that Christians are sure of their salvation based entirely on faith in the righteousness of Christ, which was given to us as a free gift from God. It's the foundation of our salvation, Uh, And along with it, we've been given everything we need to build a life on that foundation. Uh, So you notice what Peter says next in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. He says, for this very reason, for this very reason, because God has already given you everything and God has given you this faith as a free gift and so forth, for that very reason, make every effort. Make every effort. Oh, you mean this isn't something I just coast through? You mean there's effort involved in the Christian life? Make every effort, Peter says, make every effort to supplement your faith. And then he lists seven traits. Supplement your faith. Make every effort to supplement uh, your faith. And then there are seven uh, 
character traits, character qualities, seven dimensions, I would say, of the nature of God. They're like seven strands of a rope that are put together, and uh, they feed off of each other. They're like the genetic makeup of our spiritual life. These seven traits that Peter suggests, you know, we make effort to add uh, to us, uh, to ourself. And the word uh, supplement is the word uh, corgio, which eventually gets to the word choreograph. And what Peter's really saying is choreograph your faith with these externals. Choreograph your, your, what you believe is the single most important part of your life. Because what you believe will influence how you think. And how you think will influence how you feel about life, about God, about other people, about circumstances. And how you think and feel will influence the choices you make or what you do. So your faith, what you believe, is the single most important thing uh, about our lives. And so Peter says, make sure you get that straight and then add to that. Make every effort to choreograph your faith with this kind of a life. And uh, I'm running out of time. But um, the first thing he says is add to your faith virtue or moral excellence, goodness. There is a right and wrong. And uh, we do have a foundation in the Ten Commandments and in the rest of Scripture. And I would suggest to you that there really is no morality without God. There's no plumb line without God. There's no ability to determine what's right and wrong. Without God, it's just your opinion and my, against mine. And we all have our opinions. And the Bible says, you know, if we leave God out, eventually everybody does what's right in their own eyes. Right? And that's where we're getting to today. And it all started in the Garden of Eden when God came to our original parents. Remember? And God said, look, this whole creation is yours to enjoy. Have at it. There's just one tree in the middle of the garden. It's called the tree of the knowledge of what? Right and wrong. Good and evil. Don't touch that. It's my department. I'll tell you what's right and I'll tell you what's wrong. There is a right and wrong. And of course, Satan came along and said what? You can be your own God. How do you be your own God? You decide for yourself what's right and wrong. You just leave God out and you become your own God. And Adam and Eve fell for it. And the consequence we're living with still today. So the first thing Peter says, listen, if your faith is for real, the first thing you want to choreograph your faith with, virtue, moral excellence. There is a right and wrong. Second thing Peter says, he says, add to your faith knowledge. Add to your faith knowledge. We talked about this a little bit, about growing in grace and knowledge. You know, I don't know if you remember, but in Romans chapter 10, the apostle Paul, who was Jewish, was talking about the Jewish people, and here's what he said. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but without knowledge. You can be gung-ho God. You can be a fanatic for God, but without knowledge, without knowing what you're doing, without exposing yourself to his word and allowing his word to uh, add to your faith the truth, the knowledge, uh, we can be way off in left field. Uh, Jesus in John 17 said, this is eternal life that they might know you and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Uh, so add to your faith moral excellence, add to your faith knowledge, add to your faith then self-control. 
you ever ask yourself, what's controlling me? Am I in control of myself? That control's a big thing, right? Like people are control freaks, you know, and I'm married to one and, you know, I hear this all the time. You know, uh, my parents are control freaks and so forth. Well, you know, self-control is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And so Peter says, add to your uh, faith self-control. You're in charge of yourself. You are responsible for yourself. Stop blaming anybody and everything else and just have self-control. And I say, what's in control? Are other people in control of my life? Are circumstances? Is the past? Is guilt? Is pride? Is fear? What's controlling me? Peter said, listen, if you're a real Christian and you've got real faith, you've got, God has given you the ability, the power, the spirit, right, to have self-control, to take responsibility for your own life and so forth. And then uh, Peter, you know, those are all, uh, then he says, add to that steadfastness or perseverance or the ability to suffer through hardships. And uh, all of these are character traits, but then the last three of these seven traits are uh, relational kinds of issues and uh, the first is godliness and uh, Paul writes to Timothy and he says you know bodily training is good like if you go run in the morning and you go to the gym and you do that that's great but godliness which I think is genuine worship and worship by the way is a lifestyle not a half an hour at church on a Sunday morning as great as that is it's corporate worship, but worship really is a lifestyle. It's, it's an appreciation. It's building your life around your faith in this God who loves you and who uh, sent his son to die for you and, and so forth. And godliness is really a lifestyle of worship. And, uh, and then he says, you know, add to that brotherly. If you, if you really love God, you're going to love the people that God created. You have brotherly love. And then finally, agape or genuine love, like love one another, each other, the way God loves you, the way Jesus loves us. John 13, Jesus says, the one new commandment I'm leaving you with. Well, listen, our time is gone. You can read through the rest and, and uh, pick up on uh, what else Peter has to say. Just let me, uh, in closing, read verses 8 and 9. Peter gives us two choices. We've got two choices with this. And what's at stake is living with the assurance of our salvation. He says, for if these qualities are yours and they're increasing, like if you look at your life or ask your spouse or the people who know you, hey, are these qualities you know, increasing in my life? If these qualities are yours and they're increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. However, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted they're blind, okay, uh, having forgotten that they were cleansed from their former sins. Having forgotten their salvation, they've become blinded to who they really are and to their own identity and, and so forth. So we have two choices. Either these qualities you know, are increasing in our life and uh, I wouldn't trust my own self-judgment. I'd ask other people, you know, do you see these things developing in me? You know, or if they're not, maybe we have reason to question, have I really met the Lord? And uh, has he really uh, entered into my life? Well, in closing, let me say, there's a song that I think kind of captures what Peter is saying here. And a couple of the lines go like this. If he, Jesus, never ever did another thing for me, I'll be forever thanking him for Calvary. He lived, he died, he rose in three. 
Hallelujah, that will always be enough for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for our salvation. What a great, great thing you've done for us in sending Jesus to the cross, dying in our place, taking away our sin, making these great and precious promises about our past, our present, and our future. And you are such a trustworthy God, we can take you at your word. And when we do, we begin to see these qualities that are yours develop in us. And it gives us assurance that you actually are alive in us. And when we live with that assurance, uh, we have more peace and uh, we have more uh, of the uh, traits or the virtues uh, that you've listed in this passage. So thank you so much in Jesus' name. Amen.